The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. When I was a a kid, I think it was maybe around the middle school years, there was a period of, of years that after church every Sunday, our family would join another family uh, every Sunday after church for, for lunch and, and for the afternoon. And they were a very large family, it was a large Lebanese family. And so when their family gathered, it was like all of the aunts and uncles, all of the, the uh, cousins, nieces and nephews, it was just a huge family. You might have a family like that where there's just so many uh, people in that family that when that family gets together, I mean, it is like, you know, I, I remember when I was, we'd go after church to that family, this huge, it could be 20 people, could be 50 people. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not even sure how all of these people are related, but it was just one giant family. And we kind of got engulfed into this family and uh, we had so much fun those years that we did that. And all of the, the uh, cousins that were uh, my age, I had a couple of really good friends that were part of that family, and they were all like into sports, very athletic, very com- competitive, and so every single week after lunch, there would be some kind of competition. Usually it'd be like a touch football game in the street out front, or maybe a pickup basketball game. If the weather was bad, we'd still find some competition for us in those days. It was Tecmo Bowl on the NES. Any Tecmo Bowl fans out there, anyone can go back to that one person in the back. Thank you. I see that. I see that. Thank you for that. And so there would be some kind of, of competition uh, every single week that, that was so fun. And I remember one week we'd, we'd, um, I showed up and it was after church. It was after, it was, we, were, we were getting ready for lunch. And I looked at my friend and I said, hey, so what's the game? What are we going to play after church? And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, well, not today. There's something else today. And I'm like, well, what is it? He says, no, today it's Easter. And so after lunch, we have a different competition. Competition, And I like, I mean, I know how much this guy loves like sports and he's super competitive. So I'm like, okay, like, what is it? And he goes, <laughs> we wait all year for this. It's the egg cracking game. I said, egg cracking game? I mean, that was a huge letdown. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And I come to find out it is a Lebanese uh, tradition and many other cultures in that part of the world around the Mediterranean where they have these red dyed eggs. Each person picks a hard-boiled egg and then um, you crack the, you try and crack each other's egg and he's explaining, the, explaining all of this to me. I remember thinking, yeah, that sounds boring. I'm not, I don't think I'm interested in that. He's like, no, 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 it's so much fun. And I'm like, okay, I mean, if my friend thinks it's fun, I know how much you love sports. I know how competitive he is. If he thinks it's fun, then like, it's, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be a good time. So I had this expectation kind of like, like kind of building in me. And he says, he looks at me like real intensely. He's like, just follow my lead. And I'm like, whoa, dude, you really get into this, okay? And so we walk over. And I remember after lunch, there's this huge, uh, this huge bowl of all these hard-boiled eggs. There's like 50 family members there. And I just walk up and I grab an egg. And then I stand back and I watch the rest of them. And they're like looking at the eggs. They're analyzing the eggs. They're like picking, they each pick their select egg. And I'm realizing, okay, there's a whole strategy to this. I've completely underestimated the egg cracking game. And my friend's telling me, you know, how you hold it a certain way. And when you go to crack someone else's egg, there's a certain way that you got to do it to try and master it. And, and the way it works is you have like this one-on-one face-off and you crack, try and crack the egg. If your egg cracked, you're out. If your egg was not cracked, you go on to the next person until there's one person at the end who is crowned victorious over everyone because their egg never cracked. Okay, so we start doing this. I am immediately out. Like my egg cracks like with, I mean, it's not even like I'm already out, okay? And by the end, I see like there's like shouting and cheering and 
jeering and laughing, and it was just this crazy thing. And at the end, there's one family member that was victorious, and they had bragging rights for the entire rest of the year. And I remember thinking, I need to do egg cracking drills all year, so next year I get this right, okay? Like, I was hooked at that, at that point. And I remember my friend, like, I was going into this game, and at first I was like, okay, this is going to be so lame. But I looked at my friend... And if my friend said it was going to be exciting and fun, I know, I know him, I know how competitive he is. If my friend is, is saying it's going to be that fun, like I started to get this excitement. And that is like a real dynamic that we have in our lives all the time. Where you're facing a situation and you're like, I don't think this is going to be good. But because of someone else in your life that you trust, they tell you, oh, this is going to, this is going to be good. You, you take their word for it. So maybe you have a friend that's like, hey, you should, uh, you should watch this movie. And you're like, I don't know. I don't watch. That's just not the type of movie that I like to watch. And they're like, no, no, trust me. And so you, you take your friend's word for it. And, and based on what they say, you're like, okay, maybe I'll like this, this movie. Or maybe you're single. And you have a friend that comes up to you and says, I know just the person I'm going to set you up on a date with. And you're like, nope, I'm out. No, thank you. I don't want anything to do with that. But they're like, no, 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 no. I know it's going to be great. And because maybe, maybe because of your friend, if you trust them enough, they know you well enough, you just might go out on that date. There are a lot of times we have to, we have someone, we take their word for it. And because of their recommendation, because of who they are, how they know you, what they've said, sometimes then you go with it and you're somewhat expecting that it's actually going to turn out to be good and it's actually going to turn out to be all right. Now, I bring that up to you because, you know, often throughout our life experience, and maybe in, in, to some degree, each one of us right now, like in some way, maybe some more, some less, but to some degree, every one of us, we're walking through something difficult and challenging. And in that moment, we're, we're looking for something to pull from that helps us believe it's going to turn out okay. So like we, we're, we're walking through something difficult. Maybe it's, some, maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's loss. Whatever it may be. We're walking through something. And it's like, okay. And maybe you're like, look, no, I don't actually have any hope. Like, I've completely lost hope. I just, uh, I'm just kind of in despair. But maybe if you're like, no, I'm not there yet. There's something you're grabbing onto that's giving you hope that it's going to turn out okay. Well, what are you grabbing onto? For some, it's like, well, I've just, in the end, I believe that the universe is fair. You know, maybe it's karma. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe just the universe is fair. If I, if, I'm, if I do a good job, if I try hard, you know, the good guy wins in the end. Others of you, others of you may say, look, I, to me, it's just chance. I mean, like, like, life is like a roll of the dice, and it's like, you know, some people have all the luck, some people don't, and you just kind of hope that you're one of the people that gets lucky and life kind of turns out. But what are you really grabbing onto that gives you hope that what you're walking through in this season is going to turn out for good? I want to share a, a, a story with you um, that I think is going to be deeply encouraging to you as you're asking that question. You know, I was telling you about this um, practice that was completely new to me, the egg cracking game. It was a, you know, kind of festivities around Easter. What I want to do today is I want to share with you another festival that was celebrated, very, very ancient, celebrated this time of year. Because I think when you see it, it may seem foreign, but when you hear the meaning underneath it, I think it's going to encourage you today. 
So here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and, and grab that. And I want you to open up in your Bible to the book of Leviticus. I want you to open to Leviticus 23. And, um, you know, for years as a pastor, I've had people over and over and over say to me, please, Pastor Roby, could you please preach out of Leviticus on Easter Sunday? Like they just... So after getting that request so many times, here you go. Here's Leviticus for you. We all need a little more Leviticus in our life. Um, Leviticus 23, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Um, this is a whole section where it's talking about the various feasts and festivals commanded by God. Here's, we're going to open up in verse 9, chapter 23. It says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now that last detail, let's just stop here for a second. That last detail is going to end up being significant. There's a specific day that's known as the day of first fruits. And it's the day after the Sabbath. That ends up being significant. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. And basically what would happen on this day, um, they would take a sheaf of grain. This time of the year, it would have been barley. They would take a, a sheaf of grain. They would bring it to the priest. The priest would wave it before the Lord. And um, there was a particular day they were supposed to do this. And, and if they waved this sheaf before the Lord they would be accepted by God. Now, that is such a loaded word, accepted. In fact, really, all religion, kind of every religion, kind of boils down to pursuing acceptance of God. I mean, all religion is basically, okay, God, what do I need to do so that we're good? Like, what do I need to do so that you look at me and say, yeah, you're, he's in or she's in, they're, they're okay. I mean, that, that's ultimately, it's looking for God's acceptance. That's what all religion is. What this says is, bringing the sheaf at the day of first fruits before the Lord, that is, that is the way that you are accepted. Now this, if you are in, you're looking in your Bible or Bible app, you say that the, see that the feast immediately before this is the feast of Passover. This is the, around the time of year where the day of first fruits would happen. And the feast of Passover, that may be a word you've heard before. That's still celebrated to this day. It's a day that they would bring a sacrificial lamb to the temple. And they would offer that lamb as a sacrifice. And it remembered a moment when they were in Egypt, when they were still enslaved under Pharaoh, where every family needed to sacrifice a lamb. They would take the blood of that lamb, put it over the doorpost of their house, and whoever had the blood over them, death would pass over. And so they called it Passover. And for generations to this day, that is still celebrated. So they would bring that Passover lamb. The blood of the lamb makes death pass over. That, that's kind of the idea of Passover. Right around that time, uh, that, that season of the year, they would also have this day of first fruits. Now, what, what else happens on this day? It's a whole festivity. Let's keep going in verse 12, and I'll tell you a little bit more of what happens on that day. Here we go. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine. 
a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever through your generations in all your dwellings. So on this day, this is a day they would anticipate it. It would anticipate it would bring a lot of joy. They would first bring a, a sheaf of grain as a first fruit. They would uh, offer that to the Lord. It would be waved before the Lord. And then if you noticed in there, there would be three different sacrifices that would also be offered before the Lord. There would be a lamb, there would be grain, and there would be wine. All of those things would be offered to the Lord. Now those are significant because they represent whole categories of their agrarian agricultural life. So one, they have herds, they have cattle and sheep and goats, and so they're offering a lamb representing all of their herds. They're offering a whole portion of grain because there's all types of grain that they're going to harvest. First, it's going to be barley, then it's going to be wheat, probably also oats, other things like that. So they're offering a grain offering. And then they offer wine because they're going to harvest fruit as well. So they're offering, there's grapes from the vine, there's figs, there's pomegranates, there's probably dates, uh, all of these things were part of their harvest. And so they have something from every category. And this is happening early in the spring. And so all of this is representing the harvest that is to come throughout the year. And so at this particular point is right before their very first harvest, which would have been barley. So they've got all of their barley is ready to be harvested. And the first thing they do is they take one sheaf, and it says in there, they haven't eaten of any of it yet. They bring one sheaf from the barley, and they bring it before God as the first fruits. Now, this brings a lot of anticipation because of that word first. Anytime any of us use the word First, it implies that there's more coming, right? If you have a first installment, it implies that there are more installments. If you have a first course, that implies that there's going to be more courses to that meal. If you're sitting down in an airplane and you have a person, you get stuck in the middle seat, and you have someone on your right, someone on your left, and you turn to the person on your, li on your right, and it's a woman, and you say, oh, hi, what's going on? What do you do? And she says, I'm an author. Say, so, oh, that's interesting. Tell me what you've written about. And if she said, in my first book, I wrote a biography. Now you know she's not just an author. She's wrote, written multiple books because if she's referenced her first book, that means there's more. If you turn to your left and you say, oh, so what do you do? And the man says, oh, I'm a musician. And you say, oh, tell me about your music. And if he says, I just released my first album. That means that while he only has one, He's expecting there to be more albums to come. If he says, oh, my album is this, that's different. But if he says, my, I just released my first album, that means he's anticipating or already writing additional albums. Now, whether those actually happen or not, that depends on how good this guy is. He may hope for more albums, but maybe there's no more albums to come. Either way, when you use the word first, it implies that more is coming. Now, here's why this day of first fruits is so exciting because God is the one who called it the day of first fruits. God is the one who says, bring that offering before the whole year of harvest. And God is the one who calls it first. 
Notice when they get this, they're still wandering in the wilderness and God says, one day you will be in the promised land. One day you will be harvesting your crops. And when you do, the beginning of the year, you bring the first fruits. And so there will be a lot of joy at that festival because God is the one who said, this is just the first this is just the first fruits. And if God is the one saying it's the first, it's not like our musician friend that's hoping and wishing there are more. No. If God's the one that says it's just the first installment, that's a promise. That's a guarantee. God is saying there's going to be more to that harvest. Now, I want you to see two more verses here in Leviticus. It continues on into the next feast here. And I just want to read these two more verses and we'll pause in Leviticus for the day. But look at verse 15. This is Leviticus 23, verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, I wanted to just show you these two verses because it's now describing the next festival after the day of first fruits. And it's based on when the day of first fruits lands. It says, after that day of first fruits, it says, count seven weeks. So, a week of weeks. Does that make sense? Count seven weeks, more specifically, 50 days. After that 50 days, all that time, remember they've just, their barley has been ready to, to bring in. They'd wave the, the first fruits of that barley and then they would be harvesting in the barley. Seven weeks later, 50 days more precisely later, they have another feast called the Feast of Weeks. And at that point, now the wheat is ready to be harvested. And so now they'd have another festival, the Feast of Weeks, where they would bring the wheat before the Lord, but they're right in the thick of it, right in the middle of all the harvesting in that season. Okay, and I wanted you to see all of that because I want you to see the timing of how all of these feasts play out. And I want to just take this ancient passage. I mean, this was written by Moses about 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. I want to take this ancient festival and I want to start turning it to how in the world does that apply to our lives? I want you to see how this timing plays out. Um, it says specifically the feast, the day of first fruits. It's 50 days before the, the feast of, uh, of the, the harvest or the, the feast of weeks. It's 50 days before that. And you have the day of first fruits. And it says that that day is the day after the Sabbath. And it's a very specific Sabbath it's referring to. It's the Sabbath during the Passover. So let's talk about how this plays out. The Passover is on a day of the month. So um, if hypothetically Passover fell, let's just say, let's say hypothetically the Passover fell on a Friday. Everyone's bringing their sacrificial lambs in on a Friday. Then the Sabbath of that Passover would be the next day, Saturday, right? Saturday's the seventh day, it's the Sabbath. So if Passover's on a Friday, Sabbath of the Passover would be Saturday. And then the day of first fruits happens the day after the Sabbath. So the very next day would be Sunday. And that would be the day of first fruits. Now, wait a minute. That, if the Sabbath lined up exactly like that, that sounds similar to, uh, to something else. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the way it played out when Jesus was crucified that year. 
It's the feast of Passover. Everyone's gathered in Jerusalem. Jesus comes in on Sunday, first day of the week. They're yelling, Hosanna. They're putting down palm branches. Everyone's rushing around preparing for the Passover. On, on Friday is the day of Passover. Everyone's bringing in the sacrificial lambs, remembering that the, the blood of the lamb covers them and, the, and death passes over them. And it's on that day, that Friday, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is crucified, sheds his blood, and that all scripture points to that when Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies by his blood, death passes over us. I mean, how unbelievable that Jesus Christ dies on Passover. I mean, all of those lambs are pointing to Jesus, the one true Passover lamb whose blood saves us from death. Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, and the next day is Saturday, so it's Sabbath. So everything is at rest, and Jesus is in the tomb. But then the very next day would be the day after the Sabbath, so that would be the day of first fruits. So wait a minute, what that means is the year that Jesus was crucified, while everyone is going to the temple for the day of first fruits, that means that there's a few people that are going to a different place. They're going actually to the tomb. You've got Mary Magdalene and these women that are following after Jesus. They go to the tomb, and they're going not to the temple, but to Jesus' body, to anoint his body. And when they arrive at the tomb, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And there's an angel that says, he's not here. Jesus has risen from the dead. And they go tell the followers of Jesus. And the followers of Jesus are running to the tomb to only to discover that what he said came true. He died, but on the third day, he rose again from the grave, defeated sin and death itself. He rose again. So wait a minute, could it possibly be significant? Of course it's significant that Jesus dies on Passover. He's the true Passover lamb, but could it be significant that he rises from the dead on the day of first fruits? Well, maybe, but maybe it's just a coincidence. I mean, let's, let's play out the timing here. Okay, so Jesus rises from the dead on the day of first fruits on Sunday, and then seven weeks later, more precisely, 50 days later, everyone is back in Jerusalem for the, the, the Feast of Weeks, or what it was known in Greek as the Pentecost. Penta as in 50, as in 50 days later. Pentecost, they've all gathered there back in Jerusalem. And what happens that year at the Feast of Weeks, the Pentecost? Well, the Holy Spirit comes down on all of the followers of Christ and they're empowered to go out and preach to the crowds and they preach that Jesus was the Messiah. He died but rose again from the dead and 3,000 people come to faith that day. What was that? A mighty harvest of souls. What's the significance? I mean, Jesus is bringing in the harvest. Jesus is the Passover lamb, but what this is all waiting and pointing to is he's not just the Lord of the harvest. He's not just the Passover lamb. He's the sheaf of first fruits. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Bible picks up this theme. Can I Read it to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Do you know what this means? That means that Jesus 
when he rose again from the dead, that was God saying, he's just the first fruits. And when God says, it's only the first, that's a promise, a guarantee that there will be more to come that will follow. In fact, what this text says is that if you are in Jesus, that is a promise over your life. That means the trajectory of Jesus' life is now a promise over your life. What that means is just like Jesus, even though on Thursday he was betrayed by his friend, and later he had all of his friends that should have been standing by his side. They all abandoned him to loneliness and isolation. And he's arrested and he's taken to trial and he suffers all of the injustice of all of these, these false accusations against him. And he's mocked and now he, then he's abused and then he's beaten and he's shamed and he's dragged in front of a crowd and he's wholesale rejected by the crowd and then he's whipped and brutalized and then he's forced to carry a cross outside of the city and faces the torture of being nailed to a cross and just as Jesus, though he died on the cross and buried in a tomb and it looked like that day that all hope had lost, that was not the end of the story, was it? On the third day, that he does what no human alive has ever dreamed possible. He defeats death and sin and guilt and shame itself, rises out from the grave, walks among his followers, ascends back into heaven, and is seated in the place of honor, at the, as seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he reigns for all time in victory. That is the story of Jesus Christ. And the promise that he's just the first is that if you are in Christ, that means that's a promise over your life as well. So I don't know what you're facing in this season. I don't know what it is that you're walking through, what the pain and the hurt is that you're facing in this moment. Some of you say, look, I'm actually walking through being betrayed by a friend right now. I'm walking through being abandoned by those who are supposed to stand by my side. I'm walking through injustice or I'm walking through false accusations. I'm, I'm being humiliated and mocked. It looks like my enemies are winning. I'm, being, I'm walking through rejection in this season. I've, I'm walking through abuse in this season. I'm walking through physical pain or even the grip of grief or facing my mortality, death itself. I'm walking through that season. And no matter what season you are walking through, the promise is that Jesus didn't raise, to, raise from the grave on any old Sunday. It was a Sunday that marked a promise. It was the day of first fruits. It was God himself promising that that is just the beginning. There is more following in your life. You, if you are in Christ, that will be true of you too. So what that means is even if you are walking through trial, it will, by promise of God, give way to triumph. Even if you're walking through suffering, it will give way to your salvation. Even if you're walking through rejection, it will give way to redemption. That is the promise over your life. You say, how could I possibly know that to be true? Look at that empty tomb and see the victory that is now promised over you as well. Because coming out of that tomb, there was once a bruised and broken and bloodied body, but that body rose again and is seated at, seated at the right hand of God. 
There was a man that was despised and rejected by humanity, a man of sorrows, but now he has the name that is above every name. It's the very name that when that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, seated in honor. And here is the good news for you. If you are in Jesus Christ, that is a promise applied to you. Your trials will give way to triumph. Is that good news for you today, Christian? That is the promise over your life. That means that even though you might today be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it means he's right now preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies where you will be anointed with oil. That means even though it looks like it might look like right now your enemies are winning, that means that just like Joseph, you'll look at your brothers who betrayed you and you will say, what you meant for evil, God turned around for good. What that means for you is that no matter what you're facing, you can count it all joy because he's building your endurance and you know all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You can release, oh, follower of Christ, Christian, Jesus follower, will you release that promise into your life and release that Hope and that joy and that peace that passes understanding that if everything denies this truth, God Almighty has pronounced this promise over your life. That the trajectory of Jesus Christ, that empty grave, that risen Lord, that Jesus Christ, the victorious, that is a promise over you as well because Jesus is just the first fruits. Will you find hope today? Some of you are here and you're walking through a difficult season and you're trying to say, man, what is it that I'm, I'm grabbing onto? How can I know? How can I know that what I'm grabbing onto is enough hope to know that this will somehow in some way turn out for good? Well, if you're in Jesus, that empty tomb is the promise that's also over your life. That's what you hold on to. Well, how do I know if I'm, I'm in Jesus? How do I know? I, I want to know for sure. You know, every person, we come before God, if we're pursuing God, we come before God with something that, to try and get his, his acceptance. I mean, most people, I think, probably just come before God and say, look, I... God, I think you know that I'm just a sincere person. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying my best. I know I'm not perfect, but I mean, you see, I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be kind. I'm, I'm a basically good person. And so I think most people bring before God their, their sincerity. Here, is that enough for you to accept me, God? Others, I think they bring their, their religion of all types. They're like, look how well I'm following this religion. I think including the Christian religion. I think many people, they bring their Christian religion before God. And they say, yeah, of course God accepts me. I'm, I'm Christian. You know, I, I was baptized as a child or I, I went to Sunday school or I was confirmed. I mean, you know, if I were to check a box, what religion are you? I, I wouldn't say Buddhist or I wouldn't say this or that. I, I, I'd say Christian. You know, like, yeah, I've, I've got the right religion. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I go to church some. You know, I go uh, at least on the important days and, I, you know, I pray some. And so they, they offer before God, look, here's my religion, God. Is that enough to be accepted? But see, Leviticus 23 tells us what we need to be accepted. It says, bring the sheaf of first fruits before God and you'll be accepted. 
And eventually we're told what that sheaf is. It's not a what, it's a who. The first the first fruits from the dead. See, all we have to offer God is not our religion, not even our Christian religion. We just offer Jesus. It's a person. We say, God, all I have is Jesus. He, he died to pay for my sins because I know I'm not perfect. He died and paid for my sins and he rose again and I'm, I'm just putting my faith in your promise that Jesus is the first fruits and if I'm in Jesus, then I too will rise. And so I bring you Jesus to find acceptance before you. That's the only way to be saved. It's just, it's just Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a hope in Jesus. It's a following Jesus. It's a knowing that Jesus is my savior. It's about what he did to accomplish salvation for me. Some of you have empty your hands of the other things that you're bringing before God and just bring Jesus. Some of you say, look, I, I have nothing before God. I don't even know. I'm not even religious. I, I don't even know what I believe. I definitely wouldn't call myself a Christian. You know, I, I just not really religious at all. But consider what the Bible is claiming that Jesus did for you. Isn't there something deep down that wants it to be true? That wants it to be true that your creator, the one who made you and knows you, loves you so much that he looks into your life and says, your salvation for eternity is so important to me that I'm taking it in my own hands. And he enters into creation in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, and he dies to pay for your sin, taking all of your mistakes onto himself and rises again saying, it's done, it's paid for. Your forgiveness, your acceptance is offered you for free. And that it's not about your works, but it's about what Jesus did. Isn't there a piece of you that wants to serve a God like that? Wants to know that there's a creator of that kind of love? Wants to know that salvation is offered as a gift? Isn't there a piece of you that wants to believe that, that there's now purpose in your life if you follow Jesus? And that the ending is secure, that it is, it is victorious. He's going to work all things together for good. Consider putting your faith and taking that step and following Jesus making him your savior today. Can we just create a moment where each of us take a moment before God today? So wherever you're at, if you're here or you're in overflow or you're watching, maybe on your couch at home with your friends or family or roommates or maybe by yourself watching on your device, can we just create a moment with God? Can we just go to him in prayer? Would you just take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes? I believe that this could be a significant day for you when your eternity is altered permanently because you're no longer trying to get acceptance through all your efforts. You're just bringing Jesus, your Savior, to God and say it's by Him and no one else. So maybe you just take a step of faith. You say, well, what would it look like to walk out of here today knowing 100% that I'm saved, knowing that I'll spend eternity in heaven? Well, it just can begin with a simple prayer. That's all it takes is just surrendering to Jesus and just putting your faith in him. 
you could settle it once and for all right now. And I want to invite you to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say a prayer and you just make these words your words to God and put your faith in Jesus. So just silently right there, wherever you're at, just silently make this your prayer to God. He hears you. Just say this. God, I want to be saved today. Jesus, I, I believe in you. I believe you died to pay for my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe that you are just the first fruits and that if I'm in you, I'll follow after you and I too will rise. I will follow after you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was a step you took, here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, if that was your prayer just then, you made that silent prayer. Those words were your words. This was your moment of salvation. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, just one simple thing. I want to ask you just to grab your cell phone. I want you to open up your cell phone, and I want you to go. Go ahead and take a moment now. Grab your cell phone, and I want you to go to your browser. And I just want you to just take a minute right now, and I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. Take a minute. Go to your browser. Go to cityrev.org slash faith. And it's just going to ask you a couple questions, and it's just, just so that we can send you a Bible. That's what we want to do. We just want to mail you a Bible so that you can begin this journey of following Jesus. We don't want you to do this alone. So just take a moment, if you would. Go to cityrev.org slash faith. Fill out that information so we can send that to you. If you're here in person, you can go to our, our outdoor lobby under the tent in the parking lot. There's a place called Guest Services, a little table. And you can just go to them and say, hey, I, today I, I uh, took a step of faith. And, and they'll actually give you a Bible. If you're here in person, you can do that as well. But just take a moment and do that so we can celebrate with you. Church, we're going to close with a, a time of worship together, and we're going to just take a time of reflection at first. And here's what I want us to reflect on. All that your Jesus accomplished for you. Can you just consider that? Through his suffering and his resurrection, what he accomplished is he, in paying for your sins and rising from the grave, what he did is he secured eternity in heaven because you can't get to heaven without Jesus. He secured your eternity in heaven. That's millennia after millennia, eon after eon, billions and trillions and trillions of eras for you he secured. He took away all your guilt and shame. He restored you to your creator, but he pronounced victory over your life, adding purpose to your life every trial you know has a purpose and it's going to work out for your good he accomplished so much consider the fact that that tomb is empty when you look at that cross it's empty it's all paid for can you consider all that Jesus accomplished for you let's take a moment and worship together thanks for listening for more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.